Why are you here? Why are you saying it has anything to do with me? The sun was having an argument with the North Wind. Who was smarter, who was stronger? The North Wind pointed out a man walking down the street. I bet I can make that man take off his coat and you can't. I'll take that bet, said the sun. The North Wind blew and blew and blew. And the more that wind blew, the tighter that man held that coat around himself. And then the sun came out and smiled. And it became warmer. And took off his coat. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinsky. And I'm the other host, Bartek. How are you, Bartek? I'm good, Ryan. I already told you this. Why are you asking? How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for pointing out that we have chatted before recording. That's what you're hinting at. Or maybe I sent you a carrier pigeon to ask how you are. Yeah, very quick carrier pigeon. You don't know. It could have been in the intervening days between the recording. Wait, you haven't haven't received the response yet? Oh, no, I'm I'm afraid not. Um, oh, no. I, I'm afraid... Oh, wait, was, was, it a, was it a nice speckled pigeon? Because I'm afraid that we might have <laughs> shot him and ate him. <laughs> you know, it's troubling times, Bartek. Uh, yeah, World War One. Speckled, <laughs> speckled, Jim. Uh, so, Bartek, we are doing our show, Pictures Power, a show in which we do not quote Blackadder season four, Blackadder Black goes forth, but instead we talk about a movie that has come recommended, whether that recommendation is from yourself, from me, or the listening people. Uh, Bartek, is it, uh, who's, whose turn is it this week? It's yours, and I'm really curious to hear, you know, what you think. <laughs> Of course, Vitek's being facetious. This was a Listening People's Choice episode. Uh, Michael from 1996. Last week I said 1997. That was off the top of my head. But 19, you know, 1996 came out December 25th, 1996. Oh, Christmas. Uh, ho, ho, ho. Um, this was recommended from one of our YouTube listening people. Yes, we do have a YouTube in case you pod listening people are curious. Yes, we do. Spin Posh Presents. You can find us on YouTube as well. Um, yes, and uh, Dr... What was their name? I, I have it somewhere. It's like, it's either... I haven't looked at it in a while, but was it Rashes or something? Yes, Dr. Rashesh or Dre Eshes, <laughs> because it's all one word. It's kind of hard to <laughs> understand if they have a PhD in medicine or they are... Or they're Dr. Dre. Um, so we got recommended Michael quite some time back. So, for the listening people, we are going to be talking about Michael, 1996, starring John Travolta, Andy McDowd, William Hurt, and and uh, Bob Hoskins, and a dog. Uh, in, in depth, we're going to be talking about its spoilers and all, so if you have not watched this film, do be warned, we are going to be giving away all the juicy details. So, if you feel like giving it a watch, go ahead and do so. Uh, now, Bartek, Michael... Michael, 1996, uh, he has a returning director for us, um, Nora Ephron, who did Bewitched. Yep. Uh, and and uh, boy, boy, did I miss her style, because how did you feel about uh, this movie, and do you have a history with it? I don't have a history with it. I actually had not heard of it until it was recommended to us. Really? Yeah. 
this seems like such a your mum type movie. Like, I could see your mum having this in her collection of things and being like, Bartek, you haven't heard of Michael? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I'll see her in a few hours. I can ask. <laughs> it sounds like a threat. I'll see her in a few hours and I'll have to ask her. <laughs> you know what? Um, I did... <laughs> Even though this isn't unappreciated masterpieces, I actually went to the trailer for this and I was looking at the comments and there was one comment from someone who was like, my mum, when she watched this in the theatre, she came home to my dad and said, um, Michael, Michael's the name that we're going to give our son. And then he ended it with a little thing of like, yeah, and that was a great choice. Yeah, yeah, it's weird because their name was Philip. No, uh <laughs> Yeah, I had I had heard of this movie before. I had not seen it before we had to do it for this. I had heard it was a movie where where John Travolta plays Archangel Michael, and that's all I knew. That's that's the pitch. I didn't know. That's all I any- knew when I walked into. I mean, I I guess I knew that it was set in the then modern day because you you know you would know if it wasn't. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. You had have a feeling. If this was set in, like, Jerusalem times or whatever, or, like, you know, Book of Genesis times or whatever. Yeah, you some would have sort of feeling. biblical era. Um, what, 1996 wasn't the biggest biblical era in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> you're, for, you're, you're, you're more up-to-date with the Bible than I am, being am the bigger I? Catholic sure. <laughs> than me, with all your Virgin Marys all over the walls in your house. Um, <laughs> which passage in the Bible does 1996 refer to? Um, Revelations chapter 19, verse 96. Nice. Uh, so I had not seen this before, did not know anything other than Travolta is an angel, and I got taken down quite a a road trip, because this is a road trip movie. (laughs) Yes, it is. Never has it been... Bartek, I- I'm going to steal it from you now. How much was this, like, your favourite film, Eurotrip? Because if I can't get you to mention Eurotrip without... Like, you have to mention... You always mention Eurotrip or Saved by the Bell. Those are your big things. Yeah. Screech, specifically. <laughs> well, no, no, no. When we did um, Max Keeble, there was a different character. Yeah, you didn't even name them because you were that embarrassed. <laughs> So how so compare this to so how does this compare to Euro Trip? I mean, look, it's it's very hard to hit the high standards of Euro Trip. So <laughs> it's not like I can shock you by saying that this is clearly better or or this measures up to it. But it's it was a you know a fair attempt. I know that this film's like eight years older than Euro Trip, but I think they knew they knew what they were up against. Yeah, Euro Trip does have um, Matt Damon in it, doesn't it? Yes. I'm pretty sure for for the famous was it um what's the Sc- song? Scotty doesn't know. Classic song. This is a uh, Pictures Powerwell Michael versus Eurotrip. <laughs> oh shit! I have to rewatch Eurotrip now. That would be a great like Freddy versus Jason, Batman v Superman, Michael versus <laughs> Eurotrip. <laughs> so this is a road trip movie. This is also um. A feel-good movie in mixture with that and a bit of a spiritual movie. I wouldn't say it's a Christian movie necessarily because it really challenges a lot of the preconceived notions of 
Christian imagery, especially that of angels and holiness. So, you know, it's an, a play on all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Uh, Bartek, so what did you think of this overall? Um, I might have gotten a few laughs out of it, but I think I had a few more what moments out of it. So, is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? What did you think? What did you, how did you feel? Like, did, Very... was it good? I wouldn't say it was good. I was very middle of the road about it. I think I'm kind of between, like, it was okay or I didn't really like it much. Bartek, get off the road. That's where they're driving. <laughs> you can't no, be no, in the no. middle they're of on, it. <laughs> they're in the side of the road that no one ever drives. Of course, of course. So you were in the middle of the road. There was some laugh-out-loud moments of a genuine nature and some of a not-so-genuine nature, I imagine, with you, and a lot of, of what moments is what you're stating. Yeah. Well, it's God, uh, you know, divine intervention. Oh, that um, explains everything. Okay, this is almost as good as Eurotrip. <laughs> um, so what about this didn't strike as hard for you? I mean, you're a Travolta fan. Yeah, relatively. I, I haven't seen too many of his films, but whenever I do see him, I, I quite enjoy him. Um, I'll, I'll say definitely that most of his stuff I was pretty okay with. It was mostly, I think... The beginning act of the film, I was really not getting behind. But Bob Hoskins. You love Bob Hoskins. Yeah, he was great in Space Fury, but you know, this wasn't Space Fury. (laughs) For everyone that doesn't know, Bob Hoskins was not in Space Fury. That was a joke we made. That was a guy who looked like Bob Hoskins. Mario, (laughs) Mario. Um... So the first act is what really stuck stuck in your craw, huh? So after what point did it really pick up for you? Was it once they got to Michael or once they started traveling? Honestly, pretty much those two things. Yeah, when we started getting more of John Travolta's Michael and when it became a road trip film, which I I quite enjoy road trip genre, um, that picked up a little bit for me. I mean, as most people know, I also enjoy a good road trip movie. One of the best comedy films ever made, in my opinion, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and that is mm-hmm. the quintessential road trip movie. Yep. Um, does this come close? Well, they both have biblical references in there. This one has angels, that one has a devil, uh, <laughs> with John Candy in his little devil outfit. <laughs> so, so this is Michael versus Eurotrip versus planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, it's the end game of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really sad. <laughs> end game of comedy. <laughs> That's a sequel to King of Comedy. Mine's got saying he makes a superhero sequel to King of Comedy just to prove that superhero movies aren't cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, did you like this movie? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I felt very odd about this movie. I was 100% genuinely looking forward to this because I am a big Travolta fan, surprisingly. I, I shock myself with what a fan I am of John Travolta in a non-ironic way. I genuinely enjoy him as a performer. I talked about that on our episode of Savages. I find that he brings such a energy that no other performer does and I think he's one of those guys where there's an argument to be made that he is one of the best actors of his generation and an argument to be made that he's also one of the worst actors of his generation 
Um, so I was really pumped for that, and then I saw who the director was and the writer, and I was like, oh yeah, Bewitched, and you know, there's so many other movies this, this woman did in her career that a lot of people like, like Sleepless in Seattle, and so on and so forth, so... I was, She's the uh, one Harry Met Sally one, right? When Harry Met Sally, I'm pretty sure. And I was really pumped. I'm pretty sure she just wrote that. I'm pretty sure, sure Rob Reiner directed that, or maybe I'm wrong. But I was excited at the prospect. And also, like, I, although don't know much about, um, you know, all these Christian religious stories and imageries and stuff, like, I don't really know much about Archangel Michael or whatever. I do like a movie or story that plays and twists around these iconic or well-known kind of images of religion. Uh, like we said with Bedazzled, I really enjoyed a feminine take on the devil and stuff like that. So I was really pumped to see what Travolta, the Scientologist, would bring to a very Christian role. Mm -hmm. And overall, I did not like this movie, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I was bored for most of the movie, and I think I know the reason why. Our three main characters that aren't Michael are the most boring people you could spend time with for an hour and 45 minutes. None of them were interesting or funny to me, let alone worth following for a whole movie. I don't yeah. know if you felt that. No, that's that's more or less sort of my thing as well. It was very odd because I felt a little different to you, Bartek. I didn't mind the first act because it set up a zany, wacky tone with Bob Hoskins and the dog. And it set up that William Hurt, our main character, is a good guy who is in a world of assholes. But then the movie's like, no, 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 no. He's the biggest asshole of all. Well, that's sort of what I was going to get at, too. Like, the things that it was setting up, I felt, were very quickly contradicted, and it felt like... I know, it felt sloppy to me. I, I, I was going to say, the yeah, that's it, because even Michael is introduced in a way that is never true to what his character is like. I would assume, when you get introduced to him the way we do, that, you know, he's a burnout. Like, he's smoking, he's putting sugar on everything, he's a slob, he, he, he's kind of disinterested in helping anyone, but then that's never what he's like in the movie. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a story about, like, whether he got kicked out from heaven or he stayed on Earth and he's grown disinterested with going back up to being a divine figure. and Or maybe he's out of miracles to provide and, like, what does that mean for an angel? All these interesting questions that got into my brain when we got introduced to him. And then he was never any of those things ever. Yeah, when we have basically the second interaction with him after the funeral and he's very on board with going to Chicago and he's got his like conditions it's like oh this guy's really kind of got his things together it's it's not what we were you know led to believe by his first appearance yeah he was playing us because we find out later in the movie that he was the one that wrote them this letter to come find him so his first few interactions were i guess him toying with them or playing with them and seeing how they would react and then deciding whether or not to actually go with them. But 
I think that's me giving the movie far more credit than it actually deserves because it just feels like they had a funny idea for how to introduce this character, but then it never felt like that was ever the character again. Yeah. And that was really disappointing because I liked John Travolta's performance in this movie in all facets of him as this character, but I wish that there was a bit more of a consistency to his character, not just in his performance, but in the script. Yeah, you're taking the words out of my mouth. That's that's me as well. Dude, I'm just stealing it. Well, how about you tell me more about problems or things that you... Just tell me more about your, your experience with this and your thoughts. So the three characters that we're introduced to at the beginning are Quinlan, the Michael Hurt character, who we're introduced leading to believe that he's a like nice, responsible journalist. Like One of his first big things is that he receives a letter from a fan... And he's, like, reading it very fondly with this big smile on his face. And then within, like, a scene and a half, he's kind of this, like, jerk, sleazy kind of guy. Um, we've got the guy that owns the dog, Malt, I think was his name, who he's, I guess he's... Huey. More, yeah, Huey. Huey, yeah. He's more or less, you know, what he appears to be. Um, and then we're introduced to the girl of the group, because you got to have a girl um, who will eventually fall in love with someone. Uh, the dog, we, yeah, weird choice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, she's a dog keeper, so it makes sense. And we first see her, she's getting an interview to work at the newspaper that they work at, because, by the way, they all work at a newspaper. Um, and she seems like a bit of a nervousy character, or, like, eager to please. Um, she's putting on this lie, but then for most of the film, she's not really this kind of eager-to-please character. She... She's a lot more snarky than we were first introduced to her that led to believe. Yeah, um, snarky. I, would, I don't know if I would say snarky. She's more the stick-in-the-mud, voice-of-reason yeah. type character, which is weird because it seems like they want William Hurt's character to be the stick-in-the-mud, voice-of-reason character, but he's not that either. Like, none of them are, but they are as well, except for Huey. Huey's like, I'll go with whatever, but it's yeah, very stick odd. Yeah, stick-in-the-mud. Yeah, and, and a lot of her first couple of interactions with the other two guys is her just, like, picking out a thing to be offended at, and it's like, oh, you're you're trying to put on this facade that you're a angel supernatural expert, but you're kind of getting on their cases, like, don't you think you'd want to, like, play into their egos a bit or something, but no, they just kind of want her to be what the film presents her as. Yeah, I did not care for those three characters at all. I um, I like Andy McDowell as an actress. She's she's fun. If you haven't seen Groundhog Day, she's very fun in that movie. A lot of people think of Bill Murray as the standout. Of course, he is in that movie, but she's really great as the love interest in that. And she's a she's always been fun in things that I've seen her in. In this, I did not care for her. I didn't hate her. And that's the thing, I didn't hate anything in this movie, it's just things that I didn't care about or didn't care for, like, I'm not a big William Hurt fan as an actor, there's nothing he's ever done wrong in my books, like, he is a very solid and reliable actor, but to me, he's never really brought anything to the table that's wowed me before, uh, he's always just guy, he somewhat lacks uh, an on-screen charisma that is very much needed in a movie in which we have John Travolta because it's him and John Travolta 
squaring off against each other and John Travolta just wipes the floor with him because Travolta is charismatic. Say what you want about him as an actor or as a person. He does have on-screen um, presence. You, yeah, you, sure. you can't not look at Travolta and that's not just me saying he's a funny-looking guy or he's got pretty hair or whatever. He just has an energy while William Hurt is just, I am Guy with glasses and a tie on and I am here to do work. He's very reliable and solid, but he doesn't have, to me as a performer, I haven't seen anything of him that has a spark. And that's kind of annoying. And then um, I'm forgetting the other actor's name off the top of my head who plays Huey. He's good. He's adding some fun. He does a good uh, job. Robert for... Pastorelli. Robert Pastorelli. If you look up his trivia, he has a really w- he had a really weird life. Um, he's no longer with us, but um, uh, he he matches his role. He has to play the kind of lovable goofball who's kind of up for anything and is and is easily believable. Like he instantly believes in whatever you tell him, and he does that very well. He was the one out of the three that I kind of enjoyed. But as you said, Bartek, there's nothing to him. He is what he appears to be. There is no thing for Michael to do for him. It's just Michael does it for the other two characters. So the point is, why is Huey here other than yeah, he so, is nice? So to get the I guess ending twist out of the way, Michael's mission all along was basically to play Cupid or Saint Valentine, I guess, for um the Quinlan and Dorothy characters. Um meanwhile this other character is already married and has kids and is happy in his, you know, home life, so there's not really much of an arc for him here other than he owns a dog that is really, really famous at the paper and it's the thing that's kind of keeping him there. You would think that they introduced this aspect to his character that he lied about the dog being his and he was kind of mean to the dog when they first met, like he kicked it and he lied about it being the same name as the Bob Hoskins character's childhood dog. So you would think maybe that Michael would maybe influence his character if they had written his character to be a bit more of a, I don't know, cruel or narcissistic dishonest. or dishonest character, but he's never any of those things either, Huey. So it feels like when they tell you these stories about his past, it doesn't feel like it's like, like it is the same guy. Like, of course it can be, but in terms of a movie in which we have a, a literal angel fixing the misdeeds of our characters and we're told the misdeeds of one character but then that character never matches those misdeeds currently you ask yourself why were we told Mm. Uh, and it is uh, a problem Uh, I also have to say like William Hurt's character Bartek I I didn't understand him as a character because we're introduced to him as if he's a good guy. Like, not only did he get fan mail or whatever, but he's doing a story at the beginning that was refused by the paper because the paper's racist. They're like, we want white kids, basically. We want American kids on and the Native cover. Americans don't count, and yeah. Native Americans don't count. And he's like, well, they are Americans. And that's introducing to us that he's a good guy. Yeah. But then the movie's like, oh, no, he doesn't have a heart. Because John Travolta's like, oh, I have to give him his heart. And I, I just kept saying to myself, when didn't he have a heart? Oh, in the scenes where they decided he didn't. Yeah, and that's what I meant earlier when I said that there are a lot of what moments. Like, you're contradicting what you've set up. 
uh, we're complaining a lot, but what did you like about this movie that isn't John Travolta? Uh, John Travolta's dancing. <laughs> <laughs> did you genuinely like the dancing, or was that you just being like, oh, it's funny to see it? Uh, I guess it was funny to see it, but I... Yeah. <laughs> so facetious, Bartek. I genuinely like the dancing. I thought it's always fun to be reminded that John Travolta is a dancer. Uh, you know, he knew how, he knows how to dance. I mean, that was primarily how he started off his career with stuff like Grease and Saturday Night Fever and all of that. Uh, and, and you know, even the famous dance scene in, in Pulp Fiction, which is iconic. Mm-hmm. But it's always for me. It's always nice to see him do dancing stuff. And what I always liked about what I always like about John Travolta is, and including the dance, he seems like a contradiction to me. I always think of John Travolta the man as someone who's obsessed with his looks. You know, he's got a lot of plastic surgery or stuff done to his face over the years. He's he's whatever's going on with his hair. You know, he's obsessed with his hair. He's he's always kind of the guy who seems to me who's always obsessed with his image. But then when you see him in movies, he's not afraid to make himself look gross or schlubby or silly, including his dancing. And I always find that an interesting uh, contrast to what I think of him as a person. Like, John Travolta the man seems... Uh, you know, he's got some self-image thing going on, but in movies, it seems like he's not afraid to play the fool or play up the aspects of his looks that yeah, could be I, mocked. Yeah, when I think of him as when he was younger, or, or maybe last century, um, yeah, I do think of him more as like trying to play a, uh, an attractive character. But I, yeah, then I think of films later, like you know wild hogs or from paris with love or savages where like his hairspray yeah they're never really a a factor in like you know oh we're meant to be attracted to him it's just like he's john travolta but even in the height of travolta which was the 90s i would say when pulp fiction brought him back something like this he's not afraid to goof up like when we get introduced to him He's not afraid to show off that he's a big guy. Like, he's playing up the fact that he's heavy and all of that. And I was really surprised by that. I was genuinely like, whoa, okay. Like, I wasn't expecting that because I assume things of John Travolta from what he's given out to the public in in terms of how he presents himself. But even in the 90s, he wasn't afraid to do weird shit like face-off and all these weird zany things that make him really odd and kooky. And he is a weird dude, so I guess it kind of balances it out. And I think that's... Now that I think of it, when early in the film when we see his upper body, I was reminded a little bit more of my body going... (laughs) (laughs) You mean the hair? No. (laughs) The hair, bit of a gut, that kind of thing. Wings. Um... (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't see them. They're behind me. Um, but what were other things that you, and did you enjoy anything else in this movie other than Travolta? Um, I I guess, well, this is sort of related to John Travolta. At the very end, when, um, in the last shot, when they do the freeze frame thing and they're dancing through the freeze frame, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was saying that was a really, seems like a really pain in the ass type of shot to do, especially considering it's done the one time at the end in this movie. Because they have shadows and stuff reflecting on the lights of the cars that are frozen in the still. So it's like, I'm trying to think about how they did that. 
in reality and all of that kind of stuff is very interesting but then i'm like whoa they had a complex shot i mean in yeah. in all fairness the title sequence was very impressive at the very beginning when michael came on the screen the name of the movie <laughs> we're I'm trying to remember that where it changed from 15 different fonts into eventually like one of those kind of typical calligraphy type fonts that you would see in a church um yeah i think i remember that and then white light shoots out from behind it. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and I guess another thing that I would say is that, like, I wasn't enjoying the beginning act, but when it did bring up the possibility of, like, oh, we're going to go on by car, this is going to be a road trip film, to some extent, the fact that it did become a road trip film kind of gripped me a bit more. Yeah, so, I, I like the idea of a road trip with an angel. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, so so... Not necessarily for the film's own merits, but just because it hit the genre, you know, it, it kind of gripped me a bit more. I, I'm trying to think. Me, I liked some things in this movie that aren't just Travolta's performance. I liked the dog. Um, I like this idea of the dog being this big thing that keeps this newspaper together and the dog was a cute dog and did a great performance it's dead now of course but who isn't if you're an animal from the 90s we saw it die uh it got resurrected so that was fun the dog was good andy mcdowell was good she was good i i enjoyed her singing sequence that was very enjoyable it was fun it didn't feel too forced or too cringeworthy uh it felt very natural and I, I enjoyed that, yeah. the songs that she did sing. Like, the Pie song was cute and fun and yeah. could have been in Twin Peaks. And, I was thinking of Twin Peaks, yeah. <laughs> and then her actual song about love and her ex-husbands was very fun and good. And, like I said, the dance sequences were fun. But I also enjoyed the action or fight sequences. They seemed very fun and very energetic and very lively and silly, but in a good kind of way. Of course, the road trip aspect is always a fun thing to see. I enjoy those things too. I enjoyed Michael wanting to stop off to see these pointless things. The largest things? The largest non-stick fry pan or the largest bowl of twine. and It's silly stuff like that that I enjoy. And I enjoyed Bob Hoskins. I thought he was really fun. And my biggest regret in the movie is not having Hoskins and Michael in the same scene. Yeah, especially since... Bob Hoskins' character was very excited for that prospect. I mean, it makes sense we don't, but in just terms of two actors who were bringing high energy in the same film, I would have liked to have seen them, you know, in a scene face off against each other, no pun intended for the movie Face Off. But I, and I don't know if Bob Hoskins and John Travolta have worked together in a film before. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not as huge into the Bob Hoskins filmography. I've only... I have seen quite a few of his movies, but they're more iconic ones, like the Super Mario Brothers or Hook. Uh, but I, I always enjoyed him as a performer, and he was very fun in this, but it would have been fun to see John Travolta's towering figure over Bob Hoskins' you know, short stature. Because Bob Hoskins mm. is like a little baby man in this. Like, you know, he barely fits on his chair, and he's like jumping and screaming like a child who's having a tantrum. Yeah. I enjoyed him. He kind of bookends the film. He's at the beginning and end, and I enjoyed him. There's lots of things I enjoyed. I even enjoyed in portions, 
this will be in my negatives, but in portions, I even enjoyed the uh, Randy Newman score and music in little moments here and there. It matched, but it was very weird to have music from Toy Story be in a fight scene, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I, I was a little bit like, um, I like this idea too of his feathers falling off throughout the movie and that being like a little sign of things to come. Like the movie isn't smart or subtle, but it doesn't feel like it drags your nose in the dirt with how obvious it's being. Like, yeah, they show you the scene where Andy McDowell's saying goodbye to the dogs and we, the audience could deduce early on that she's there as a dog trainer or whatever, but the movie's not smashing you in the face with how obvious that is. Like it just presents it and just goes, We'll get around to revealing it, but it doesn't feel like the audi- the movie thinks it needs to dumb down to you to explain these twists and the story or these reveals. Mm. Like Michael's feathers falling off and him dying, you know, or him, you know, leaving this mortal earth. That felt very natural and progressive through the movie. It didn't feel like it was speaking down to me, which, as a lot of people know, and most people don't like either... I don't like when movies speak down to me. And this, I didn't feel like it spoke down to me. I felt like it was just a, a quaint little road trip movie with John Travolta giving a really fun performance. Yeah. When we get into the bad things, I think a lot of it is just wasted potential. And as we've already stated, um, misleading setup. And that's really a bummer because... You're presented this idea of an archangel is on Earth. Why is he here? Who's he here to help? All this stuff. And it's a road trip. And I feel like they just wasted a lot of potential. I don't know. if Did you feel the same, Bartek? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of wasted potential. What are some things that spring to mind that this movie just missed out on that it could have explored? When you're pitched this idea... And when you think of this idea and then you've seen this movie, there's so many things that come to my mind, but what about you? Well, I don't know. I think I think of all the setups that they do. Like, the... Uh, one of the, I guess, sort of filmmaking things... This, this probably isn't answering your question, but it's something that was on my mind, was one of the things that I didn't like about the film, there's a... It sets up this idea that they're going to not do the the what's the term the third act breakup kind of thing like yeah um when they're doing the thing of uh, she's trying to tell uh, Quinlan that uh, she's been lying about something and she wants it to get out there it almost feels like oh they're gonna they're gonna look past the whole idea of reveal this thing that I've been keeping quiet and then they're going to hate each other for a bit before getting back together. It actually feels like they're going to subvert it and that was going to be a big plus and then they just, like, double down and do it. That's the weak... The biggest weakness of this movie, actually, is what you're saying. The third act. It feels like Michael dying should have been the end of the movie and then, like, you have the, you know, the the wrap-up of them falling in love and all of that and then maybe reveal that he didn't actually die and he's actually, you know, uh, you know, playing Cupid and and that maybe um, the woman the, for the old lady was also an angel or maybe she was just a woman. But, like, we have 15 more minutes of wrap-up yeah. and it's so, like, forced and... 
in that did feel very contrived and I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that Michael would die and then instantly William Hurt would revert back to what he was instantly. Yet again, it didn't feel like it, they had done the legwork to have the big character change because there's a moment where she goes, oh, it's you again or whatever. I forgot. And I'm just like, oh, oh, this is her, the them telling us that he's reverted back to the character from the beginning. But there's not much of a delineation between the two modes. Yeah, I know. One of the things that I was noticing, and I guess you did too, was um when Michael did die and it felt like this very poignant saying goodbye scene, it the tone of the scene almost implies that they have changed and they've become, I guess, more wise as a result. And yeah. even when he when he gets fired and he tells um, the boss something, he, like, used Michael's line where like, I'm not that kind of guy or whatever. Yeah, not it my department, like, not my department. That's not my department. It just felt like he realized what was important in his life and he can move on from there. But then they do the whole, you know oh, the romance, we have to get the romance to happen thing. And it just felt really like, what do you want from us? I think the movie would have been great if him and Andy McDowell got in the elevator, Bob Hoskins does that thing, he says that line, whatever the variation of it was, like, not my area, not my department, whatever. Elevator door closes, they are in the lift, they maybe exchange a cute line of dialogue and kiss, and that's the end of the movie. I would have been satisfied with that. You know, that would have been satisfying. Or maybe they get out on the elevator floor and they're holding hands and they're walking off and then you have Michael somewhere in the scene looking at them and being like, ah, and then you have what he has with the old lady being like, my job's done, basically, and a cute back and forth. I would have been fine with that. That's like 10 minutes cut right there. Yeah. That ending stinks on ice. There were so many missed opportunities for myself because, like I said, I like these takes on religious iconography in films done in a very different manner. Like, yeah, pitching John Travolta is Archangel Michael is a very interesting idea. It gets your brain thumping, and it really does play with some ideas, but purely for comedic effect. Like, the more interesting stuff it plays with are comedic things, and they never try to do anything serious with it until, like... The more emotional things seriously but ideas i want to see explored in a more serious manner like i like this idea of hey just because i'm an angel doesn't mean i can't have sex or smoke or feel emotions that aren't being like purity angel inner light halo stuff they just play all that for jokes and I feel like they could have explored something with all that deeper making michael a deeper character but instead he was just a cipher yeah, and they really wanted to hammer home one aspect of the Archangel Michael, and I think it even says here on Wikipedia that um, Miller notes Michael is portrayed as warring on Lucifer with shields resembling two broad suns and credits Michael with referencing this mythology. Like, the film really hammers this idea of Michael being, like, this fighter character, and just, like, most mm. of the jokes are just like, oh, I love fighting, I, I did this fight once, and it's like, okay, that's... Yeah. It's you it's more telling. They, they do some showing, but it's also yeah the same topic but over and over again. I would have liked to have seen maybe a character change. Like like I said, he seemed like a burnout at the beginning. Wouldn't it have been interesting if maybe he was this great Hercules type figure, this great warrior fighter, blah that we know from the Bible stories and whatnot. But maybe nowadays he's kind of just a 
burnout, disinterested, kind of like, oh my god, yes kind of guy and then maybe through the journey on the road trip he kind of gets reinvigorated as well as they get reinvigorated as people like everyone evolves as characters not just uh the humans that would have been far more intriguing to me and it would have given Travolta far more to do than just comedy stuff and I like comedy Travolta and I think he did very well but it felt like all these interesting nuanced things that you could explore they just did it for comedic sake and that's fine, but the movie, I wouldn't say, is purely a comedy, either. Like, I w like it is, but it's not really. It's a, it's a down-to-earth, sweet-natured film with comedic intent in there, but I really would have liked a little bit more depth because there's so many missed opportunities and ideas of having, uh, you know, Michael, this angel, be here. And also, the idea of Michael is one of the four archangels, and he's in a car with three other people, and it's like, you know, you could have some sort of reference to the other three, or play with that idea a bit, but there's no reference at all to the other three. Are there only four archangels? I thought there were seven for some reason. No, I think there are three. Raphael, Uriel, and Gabriel are the others, I think. Okay, okay. For some reason, I thought there was more. I thought that was like the four horsemen. <laughs> you know, there's always numbers. Hey, what was... Okay, so I thought there was some significance to the number 26 in biblical terms, but there isn't. Because he says he can only be allowed to come to Earth 26 times. And it seemed very I... specific. And I looked it up, and the number 26 is only referred to like once or twice in the Bible. And it's nothing to do with this. And I was just curious of like, did that strike it as a thing to you when he said that? Because to me, it sounded like, is this some kind of significant reference? It seemed like a very specific number. Is there something I'm missing here? I don't have a clue. I don't remember that line. Yeah, that he said he can the uh, archangels can only come to Earth twenty six times, and this is his last time. And I, I, I think that no, might have been no a idea. lie. Because then at the end, he's still on Earth. You know, I don't know if that was a lie or not, because he was a deceiving angel. Um, are angels supposed to just be blonde as well? That's something that I, I forgot was a thing, because they said, like, oh, and all angels are supposed to be blonde. I forgot if that was a thing or not, and I didn't know if that was a thing with archangels specifically. Mm, I, I don't know if there's any sort of like common idea of what angels were meant to look like i mean there's, there's that whole contradiction thing of like sometimes angels are you know shown as being humanoid like in this film and then there are all those ones where they're like oh but in some bible verses they're depicted as this really monstrous form so it's i i don't know what the i don't i don't know what the uh the status quo or the way to go about depicting angels is meant to be i think just the idea of like, oh, blonde is a nice color. The angels are surely meant to look nice. Yeah, I don't know. And I think there is a difference between angels and archangels. Because from my memory, I thought angels were supposed to angels were supposed to just have a more like genderless is... form kind of thing. Like they're kind of you know, um, you there know, they're high... not supposed to have like they're not supposed to be obviously male or female. They're kind of just amb ambiguous, kind of like they just are entities. While I think archangels are supposed to have that kind of more. There are there is a hierarchy of angels that you can look up where, and there's quite a number I think. And archangels are or archangels are right near the top. Yeah, they're the top angels. I'm pretty sure. They're yeah. the fighters, as this movie likes to remind us. Uh, yeah, I think they're just a wasted thing. And and here's something that really bugged me. 
We have a so-called angel expert who, in all fairness, isn't. We have a guy who's believing everything that he's told. And then we have William Hurt, who seems like he should be a guy who's a skeptic, right? A stick in the mud. But my big problem is, this is the beginning, and throughout the movie, we don't have many things that you would have to be believable. Like, I know this is a silly film, or at least it's a, a zany film that takes place not in our world, but a movie world, and I understand that. But there is some things that need to transcend the excuse of it's a movie to make it more digestible for an audience. And one of the things that I got bugged by is, no one really grills him about being a fake. They just all buy that he's an angel pretty quickly. Like, they don't even really have that scene in which someone grills him about stuff for being an angel. Like, there's no person who believes in angels strongly that really, like, we have the old lady at the beginning, but she's already accepted it. I would have liked someone along the journey who likes angels or is into angels to really you know, go over all this stuff about angel stuff with him, or have William Hurt be a skeptic and just kind of refute all this stuff, and maybe Michael shows him some miraculous act to sway him and us, the audience, in turn, that he is who he says he is. But there is no moment like that. Yeah, I feel like ever since they look at his wings during that one breakfast, they've just been on board with it. I mean, fair enough, but I don't know. It feels like there's missing that those little pieces that could have made it's, this a little bit more digestible a, and yeah, a little bit more obvious, interesting. It's an obvious thing that you can have in a film like this, and they waste that idea on, oh, one character is pretending to be that. It feels like but they just actually... need the movie to get to A to B to C. Like, we need them to instantly believe because we want to get to this place. We don't need that... But then they also want to do what you said, which is, oh, but we need to have the lie revealed scene, and we need to have the second act hitting third act low point. And no, you don't. You don't need that stuff. What you need is this stuff over here. But this is just me speaking as a viewer. Maybe these things were here in the film and they got edited out, or maybe they just didn't work. There's lots of reasons why they couldn't be in here. But as a finished product, I look at it and go... Why did Roger Ebert give this three stars? Yeah, this feels like, you know how when movies get remade, there's always that thing of like, oh, but the original was so good. Why do you need to remake it? It's this kind of weird thing of like, you can easily make this film better, but because it wasn't, you know, super popular or anything, no one's going to consider a remake. I feel, yeah, there's a lot of rules that aren't explained or they don't care to explain. In a lot of these guardian angel type stories... They explain the rules in a very coherent way and they stick with them like in the classic It's a Wonderful Life, you know, every time a bell rings an angel gets their wings and that's a classic line and you understand that's a rule in this world and then when that movie has bell rings and you're like, oh, that's great, blah, all this kind of stuff. But in this movie, it's like they just kind of throw it all over the place. Uh, oh, women don't have free will when around him. You know, except for Andy McDowell, but he put a block on her. You know, I don't know what that's supposed to say. Yeah, but but she still had the whole thing of, like, she smelled a thing that she really likes but when she's near everyone him. does. So, like... Wasn't it only women? No, because I swear Huey says that he smells like something. Or maybe I'm wrong. I'm, maybe I need to watch that scene again, but I swear that Huey says he smells like fresh cookies or something as well. I don't know. Oh, maybe okay. I'm crazy, but... Uh... I don't know. It, it was 
a lot of uh, interesting ideas, but at the end of the day, this movie's biggest merits are John Travolta's uh, performance, as zany as it can be, it is entertaining. And I've got to say, uh, the film wears its heart on its sleeve. That's why I don't feel any pleasure talking about the negatives of this movie, and that's why I don't hate it, because I appreciate a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve, and like I said, it doesn't feel like it's manipulative or condescending in a way that offends me, or even at all. This film is genuine, even if it's a little flawed in my opinion. There's a lot of things that me, as someone who likes stories and and films and wants deeper meanings and themes, I'm wanting these deeper things, but there's nothing wrong with a light, fun movie like this, and I feel like this movie achieves what it wanted to achieve. It's a nice, feel-good road trip movie with an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah, I can agree to that. It knows what it is, and it doesn't try not to be what it is and i appreciate that about it it feels genuine even though it had misleading setups and wasted opportunity it is what it is and i gotta appreciate that about it and although the randy newman music really did ruin scenes for me uh you know, that wasn't enough to make me dislike it. A lot of people really have railed against the Randy Newman music, as they always do, um, uh, because he's a very selective kind of thing to put in your movie. You know, Randy Newman has a very specific style, and most people of our generation know him as the Toy Story guy. You know, I got yeah. a friend in me, and all of that. And he has a very mockable type of voice and type of music he likes to make. And a lot of people rail against it. But I think it worked in some portions. But unfortunately, there was just too much music for me. It felt like there was music all the time. And a lot of it didn't feel like it tonally matched up. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, country western stuff. And I guess that was tying into uh, the female character's hobby. But, yeah. And where they were. Yeah. But uh, anything else you want to bring up about this movie? Any scenes in particular you think we need to discuss? Because we haven't really talked about many scenes from the movie. We're just kind of talking about the movie in general. But is there any scenes or character moments or, or big what moments that you really want to delve into? Because you did say you have some what moments. Yeah, we've we've mentioned pretty much all of them at this point. Uh, scenes, scenes. Um... There was a scene with a bull. Yeah. There was a scene with a bull. That was tying into the fighter thing. What did you think uh, of that? I thought that would be a scene that you would have genuinely enjoyed and got a laugh out of. It was a scene that kind of confused me a bit more because I I don't know all that much about, like, you know, Archangel Mike, Archangel Michael, so I didn't know what the whole bull thing was about. It's only as the film kept going and they kept, like, you know, pounding on this idea of he loves fighting that it kind of you know, made a bit more sense, but it also ends in the way where it implies that the bull and Michael were working together to make Quinlan realize something. Well, that's when he gives him a big old speech about shit, <laughs> when, you know, he talks to Michael and all of that, but I think with the bull thing, obviously, if you don't even know, but I assumed that just the basic visual of creature with horns, like the devil... He oh, sees right, it as yeah. the devil and he must fight it. Or sees it as a demon and must fight it. And bulls have certain imagery in pagan societies as well. 
And okay. paganism is obviously not a thing that Christianity loves. Um, so I took it at that, and I thought that maybe you would have picked up on that, considering you are more religious than I am. You participate in far more religious ceremonies, and you have religious iconography all over your walls, and you know a bit more than I do in some regards to some well, things. Ryan, much, much, much like the film, I'm very misleading. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Speaking of which, um, do you think the Spanish lessons paid off? Yeah, can we talk about the trivia? Yep. You you got to tell the audience. Yeah, let me just change to the tab just so I got it all in front of me. <laughs> I said to Bartek <laughs> last night, the Michael trivia is wild, and you replied, short, but it is wild. <laughs> yes, only eight items, but there are some memorable ones. One of which is, and I'll read it verbatim, John Travolta took 500 hours of Spanish lessons in preparation for this film. When asked why, he said, just in case. That is so Travolta. <laughs> why did he do that? Why did he do that? I love it, though. you got to love that crazy rich maniac who loves planes and Scientology. I mean, you don't have to love that about him, but he is he's a crazy guy. <laughs> what was it that he called that actress... Um, he called her by the wrong name, and it's like a, a joke now. Oh, the oh, the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. He called Adina Menzel Adele Design. <laughs> and I remember the year after that Oscars, they made a joke about it, and even at the most recent Oscars, they made another joke about Cause it. Because it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was also, you mentioned earlier that William Hurt didn't bring much to the table, but there <laughs> is a trivia point about something he brought to the set. What an asshole. <laughs> I know, when I read that, I was like, Jesus, good thing no one wants to be on films, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what did no he do? So, he refused to stop smoking cigarettes during takes, and they had to edit around all of that. Why? Why did he do that? I don't know. Uh, like, it doesn't imply that he had a miserable time making the movie, and I haven't found anything to say that, so... Why was he being an unnecessarily dickish person? Out of the people, you think John Travolta being, you know, a bit of a prima donna, from my understanding. A guy who's a bit self-obsessed. You would think he would be the one. But it seems yeah, like... The most famous actor. From my understanding... Well, famous, you know, maybe from now point... From a now standpoint, but you gotta remember, at the time, he was just coming back. So this could have, you know what I mean? Like, but... Uh, you think that Travolta, someone who's worked big in Hollywood and has a prima donna kind of like I'm self-important kind of uh, aspect that some people have said about him, he would be the guy. But it seems like, from my understanding, he was nothing. Like, it seems like he was a good guy on set and everyone enjoyed working with him. But what the fuck, William Hurt? What was that about? He's he's yeah. in Endgame. He's he plays General Thunderbolt Ross in the Hulk movies, and I'd love to see the Endgame trivia where it's like, and he just refused to stop smoking, so they had to edit around him too and use CG. Like, is this a thing he does in all movies, yeah. or is it just in this movie? William yeah, Hurt was a villain. Didn't the producers didn't mind so much because of the advancement of CGI technology. Yeah, it's um. That the trivia was wild, and then there's the obvious. There was going to there's been a sequel in the works, and it was going to come out this year apparently. But I've found nothing about that other than that IMDb trivia point about a sequel. And yeah, it, and apparently Travolta's really into it. I mean, Travolta's always into what he's doing. Like uh, that's the thing yeah, I love about Travolta. He... Even when he's on autopilot, he's so into it still. 
Yeah, but apparently this is his finest work. Consistently he said that, and I'm like, so is the film made or what? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Maybe he likes the script or the ideas. Maybe every weekend, instead of doing a weekly podcast, he goes and brainstorms some more about, you know, the sequel to Michael. <sighs> what, would you, what would you do in a Michael 2? What would you do? What would it be about? What would you even call it? Michael again? <laughs> um, I don't I know. I don't know. Yeah, this is such a standalone film that it feels weird to have it be a sequel. It almost feels like they're going to, like, you know, Disney animated sequel it. Like, oh, the sequel that didn't need to be made. Do you think it would be a continuation with the characters in this movie or Michael on a whole new adventure with other people or another setting? I'd hope it would be with the Michael character played by John Travolta. We know it's going to be played by Travolta. I mean, that's the only reason you'd make a sequel is for more of him. But I I don't know what you would do in a Michael 2 in 2020. Like, it's so weird mm. to see because this is such a movie of its time in a good way. We don't get movies like this now. They don't get released to cinemas anymore. You don't get a lot of these movies. Since Gary Marshall has died and Nora Ephron has died, you don't get a lot of these soppy, sweet, saccharine type of zany movies anymore. Not a lot. last one I can think of is Book Club, and no one saw that movie. Mm. But uh, anything else you want to bring up about Michael? Michael, not enough that 70s show. <laughs> um, I did enjoy the fact that he fucked the judge into letting them go. <laughs> <laughs> and that judge was played by Terry Garr, who Bartek you would know from Young Frankenstein. I've only seen that film once and it was a long time ago. She's the girl. I know there was a girl in that film, but again, it's been a yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah. Um... We're going to do that. On, we're going to do a Mel Brooks one on the pod at some point. You've got oh, yeah. not enough Mel Brooks in you. Um, I know that. Uh, no one does. Although he's a small man, you could shove him in you quite easily, like a suppository. Um, <laughs> or a tissue in a nostril. Yep, I like how you went that way. I went the gross way. Um, I can't think of much else to say about this film. Um, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, I honestly, I think we were really on the same page for most of this film. Yeah, I, it's it's a film that we don't like, but because of various genuine aspects of it, we can't bring ourselves to hate it. Yeah, I see why this film is recommended, why people love it, and why it has a following. It is very sweet, and like I said, it's honest. Even though it does have misleading introductions to characters, and that third act really does do my head in a little. But a great performance by Travolta, or at least an enjoyable watch for a performance of Travolta. This isn't going to get an Oscar or anything, but it was a fun little little romp to see him be all wacky and play car bingo and stuff. <laughs> Um, alright, that's it, listening people. Michael, done and dusted. Uh, Bartek, next week it is a movie from your recommendation, if I am not mistaken. You're not, you're very correct. So, what movie are you bestowing upon us all to check out for next week's episode? 
Yeah, I was dancing between two films, and I was like, should I do this one or this one? Just to let everyone know, every time it's my choice, I either do an American film or a non-American film in a cycle. We're up to an American film in the cycle. When you say American um, film, you should just say English spoken movie and non-English movies, because when you say American films, well, you pick so many like ones that are like Australian, English, Scottish... <laughs> Well, no, but Austra- the Australian film was in the non-American cycle. The only one that I think I was a bit iffy on was Uma. Yeah, Uma, the Scottish movie. So, yeah. what's your American um, film? Th- don't worry, and this one is definitely American. Um, I'm going with the original Terminator film. Terminator! Wow. I'm very curious to know what the other movie you're dancing around. Terminator 2! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't decide which Terminator. I thought I'd go with the first one, because it comes first. Not the third one, Rise of the Machines, where the lady Terminator blows her titties up to be bigger to seduce people? That happened. Yeah, Terminator 3. I've definitely seen it a number of times, but I cannot remember much about it. There's a scene in Terminator 3 that really was, like, the dumbest thing, where it really proves, like, the idea of having... Okay, so in Terminator 3, they're like, what happens if we had the Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 Terminators combined? So you have a Terminator with liquid skin, but a metal skeleton, which is like, what's the point? You know, what's the point? Mm. Because there's a scene in that movie where she gets stuck to um, a magnet of some sort, and it, like, makes her liquid skin come off, and it's, like, jeeling all over the place. And it's like, yeah, that that scene just really highlights how stupid it is that you've got it being both. Like, have it be one or the other, but both yeah. was dumb. That movie is dumb. You should have picked that one. Rise of the Machines. No, we're doing Terminator, Maybe. the original, the James Cameron one, not the uh, that remake one with... Yeah, that weird 1991... <laughs> handheld camera remake yeah. yeah to let to let everyone know um ryan and i we have talked about terminator one and two throughout the years but uh we've never done any episode about them so this this will be an episode where we do that all right so listening people if you haven't seen terminator one the original terminator um give it a watch uh because we're talking about it it's an iconic movie it's no um I want to say there's one called, like, Russian Terminator, where it's, like, a Russian ripoff, but it's a lady um, instead of a guy. Terminatress. Uh, So we'll be talking about that. Uh, Listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can find us very easily on on those and on any podcatcher available. If you can, rate us and review us on whatever podcatcher allows it. Spread us around, share all the links to your friends so that you can get people interested in what we're talking about. Last week we talked about the snowman. This week we talked about Michael. Next week we're talking about Terminator. We're a very versatile podcast. We're doing a lot of different movies and we have quite a large catalogue of things that we've talked about in the past that you can just delve into as well. We have an email that is spitandpolished at gmail.com in case you want to suggest some movies for us to cover in the future. Tell us more facts about Archangel Michael or send us just your general thoughts on things we've said in episodes of uh, things that we've said in the episodes, whether it's on this movie or movies in the past. Love to hear from you. Of course, all that info is in the description of this episode so you can all follow the links and stuff in case. Bartek, uh, a pleasure, as always, to be talking about a movie with you. Uh, and also with you. Uh, listening people, do remember to uh, uh, to apologize. 
and to sing when I tell you. Uh, it's very important that you do those things when I tell you to do them. And I guess yes. uh, be kind to each other. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.